It's episode 129 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Jennifer Jordan. <laughs> How are you? I'm really good. good. I'm glad, I'm glad. So uh, we're recording in the nursery, in the yeah. Situation Room. Certainly. So thank you very much to the nursery for the continued support that uh, it offers to the podcast. The nursery uh, says you're welcome. <laughs> thank you, the nursery. <laughs> so you are the director mm. of Boxed In. Yeah. Tell me about Boxed In. Well... Um, this was a thing that I've had in my head for a goodly while, probably, possibly even as much as a year, I don't know. Um, it is a show, I should just say what it is first. It is a show, an improvised show, funnily enough, uh, in which all, uh, I think, I don't know for 100% sure this first one, but I think characters, but definitely uh, props, costume, scenery, set... Um, will be created through cardboard boxes, brown paper, um, and anything sort of in that realm. Wow. Yes. Um, I'm hoping for it to be a visual feast for the eyes, um, as opposed to, I don't know, what kind of other feast for the eyes would there be? <laughs> it's going to be visual. A visual feast for the eyes um, involving uh, puppetry and sort of object manipulation. The idea of it being turning something very ordinary and plain into something extraordinary and beautiful. So where did the idea come from? I don't know. (laughs) My brain. (laughs) Mostly. Um, I've always loved puppetry. I genuinely don't know. I remember that it's been months and months now that I've had this idea in my brain and I've had the name and I've (laughs) I've had the concept for such a long time. But I I couldn't tell you exactly the point where it first formed or like the first initiation. I know that it's definitely been inspired by, like in part... Because um, I think I had the idea, oh, I don't remember, I think I had 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 the idea already and then I saw a particular show, uh, which was Never Folk, oh, yes. uh, by, back then there was Sonder, now they're unmade, um, and it was, uh, it was and it was it, when the nursery first opened, so like almost two years ago now, um, uh, sorry, not not the, when the nursery first first opened, mm. but the, the space that they have at Broadgate right yeah. now. When that space first opened, um, it was one of the first shows in there, and yeah, it just the the openings sort of ten fifteen minutes blew my mind, mm. uh, because it was they had all these different objects on stage. There was like a tree that I remember helping Sally uh, like shove into her car at the end of the run. She's like, "Can you just help me with this tree?" <laughs> Shoving this tree in, um, and like a, a beautiful cabinet, beautiful wooden cabinet, and in the drawers were all these different things, and they would get a member of the audience to pick out a thing, and that would inspire. And there was supposed to be like wandering folk tale, you know, uh, storytellers that all gather and, and tell a story together. Um, and the opening 10 to 15 minutes, they would get a uh, suggestion, whatever, and then um, they uh, did a sort of a whole uh, folk tale, a whole sort of, it's not necessarily fairy tale because it wasn't necessarily like all magical and dragons, but it was like a folk tale. Um, and they would tell this whole thing and the, they would change narrators during it and as that was happening, various other members of the cast would immediately pick up one of the objects on stage and use it to puppeteer one of the things. And I remember one thing of like a, a bull, for example, 
um, and a bullfighter, and they grabbed these, um, I forget what they grabbed, I think maybe they were actual two horns, I don't know, and put them together, and then someone else grabbed something else to be the body of the bull, someone else grabbed something else to be the tail, and they were all puppeteering together to make this bull that ran at someone, and then someone died, and then they got this red material and pulled it out to be the blood, and it was all, like, I'd, I have seen that style of puppetry before, but always in... Uh, rehearsed things mm. I'd never seen it in an improv show and I was just like oh my god this is genius um, and so I'm stealing that basically <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly stealing Chris Mead along with it who nice. was involved in that that's and a good move <laughs> yeah now thanks to just um, a happy series of events Chris is involved uh, and he's running almost half the rehearsals so that's that's pretty great <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so what what, what stage are you at at the moment <laughs> at the moment we've just cast it brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> our first rehearsal is uh well by the time this goes out we will have had that but at at the time of recording uh, i've got a week until the first rehearsal right good. yeah so still in planning stages cool so obviously um what may happen on stage um, may differ from what the plans are at the moment yes but yeah can you talk me through how you're imagining the show is going to work at the moment subject mm. to change so very much subject to change even from the very auditions because uh, I had an idea of what I thought it was and then just from running the two auditions which was a space of like uh, six till ten so just in four hours it actually it was in the first audition I was like hmm this is clearly actually the direction I want the show to go in. Uh, so things can change so quickly. From what to what? From so. Um, originally I was thinking that the performers may be playing the characters as you as you may do in any normal improv scene. Uh, maybe two people walking down the street. Um, maybe one of them has an umbrella. So someone else might rush in and like give them some bits of cardboard that create the umbrella. Someone else might create a cloud above them uh, and uh, some rain or whatever. Um, or you might create some, some trees that go past them as they're walking along. Um, but they are two humans or, you know, they're two characters in it. We did some of that in the audition. And then I was like, okay, we're now going to do one where you cannot be the characters or the characters will be from the stuff. Uh. And suddenly everything came alive and I felt like a little child again. I was just like, I had this giddy grin on my face watching all the scenes when just everything was puppeteered. Um, so I'm not going to completely rule out humans being humans, but even just from that, I was like, and every everyone auditioning, they had this extra spark as well from yeah. the moment that we switched it um, and made that change. So... I am now, from that experience, heavily leaning towards that um, that all the characters will be uh, puppeteered out of the stuff. I'm not adverse to humans being uh, used in it as well, especially for um, scale, to mm. create a scale so you can have someone tiny and a human can be a big giant or whatever, things like that. Who knows at this stage? Um, so that's the main thing of it. And structure-wise, and this is very much subject to change, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> according to how the rehearsals go. But I'm imagining a narrative, um, but a very simple narrative that has endless possibilities. I say that as if that's different to any other <laughs> improv show, but that's like basically what all improv shows are. But um, ironically, that we don't feel boxed in by <laughs> a sure narrative, did yeah, sure did by a narrative that we set up. Um, but the the thing I really want to tap into, the reason, like the blog, uh, the not the blog, but the sort of description of the show that I put up for the auditions and that's uh, going up for the show is to do with the fact that like cats and children both love playing in boxes, 
And the world of imagination that comes out from kids when they see a cardboard box, they don't just see a cardboard box. They see, you know, a spaceship and a, a pirate boat and all these different things. Um, and I would like to, in a world that's just going to shit, can I, I don't know if I can say that. Yes, you can say that. Okay, great. Uh, in a world that's going to shit. <laughs> I mean, don't, we're not happy about it, obviously. We'd no. encourage the world to change course. Please but change an, course. I feel it's an accurate description of where we are. For sake. Um, I just want to lean into a bit of um, sort of childhood innocence and, and childhood possibilities. And I want to find a way of genuinely tapping into the types of stories that children tell. Yeah. Um, you know, if you ask a kid to tell a story, there's this wonderful uh, YouTube channel, um, which is in part uh, curated or curate, uh, create, la, 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 in part curated slash created by Joss Whedon oh, right. um, and uh, some other people and they get a kid and they sit them in like this story chair and they're like we've heard that you have a great story for us and they're like yes I do <laughs> they tell the story and they start telling it and at first it's just a kid telling a story but then the screen changes and they've like animated this wow. whole story and so they animate the changes because obviously kids minds change yeah, like yeah, yeah. part way through and it's this like the crazy ridiculous stories that go off on bizarre tangents but they're so fun so I kind of want to tap into the kid logic you know um but still for it to be uh, watchable, I guess, because sometimes kid logic can lead you up into a place of like, we got to crazy town in like two steps. So um, somehow uh, navigating that, but just the enthusiasm and the joy and the, the possibilities that are within the way that kids tell stories and the way that kids see the world is what I would like to tap into uh, with adults and, and open up that world and just be like, Hey everyone, let's just have a nice time together for the evening. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine you've made plans for the rehearsals to cover certain skills or abilities mm. to bring out that side in the performance? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I think apart from giving giving the cast homework to watch some episodes of, of that YouTube show, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, along with Jim Henson's The Storyteller. They're like my two source materials at the moment. Jim Henson's The Storyteller is just amazing. I've not um, seen that twice. Oh, please watch it. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do so. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, there were two different storytellers. I forget who one of them was in one series, but in one of them it was John Hurt. Um, as a storyteller in a big chair and then they uh, so one of them was kind of general folk tales and the other one was specifically Greek myths oh, right. um, and all told with like you know beautiful Jim Henson puppetry yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I really love puppetry <laughs> <laughs> if that hasn't come across yet I uh, really really love puppetry so um, yeah I haven't haven't as yet crafted that how to bring that stuff out or direct it in that way but it's don't worry it's going to come to me <laughs> I've been more concentrating on the on the puppetry and how to work with the boxes yeah that's, <laughs> that's more what I've been thinking about yeah let's talk about the practical side of that because you mentioned in your example that you might have somebody walking down the street and mm. you know there might be trees and things like that it takes time to create the trees out of cardboard yeah so it's all going to be very simplistic. I really like the idea that it's obvious uh, to the audience that this is just a bunch of cardboard, you know? And it's just the way we see it and the way we use it that makes it into something else. Um, 
and that it's very simplistic. So it could literally just be like one long cardboard tube, like a poster tube, and then someone with a scrunched up bit of paper on top. Um, and as long as that's held in place and those t- uh, they move down the line together, yeah. we can believe that's a tree. You know, it doesn't have to be this beautifully sculpted thing. Right. It can be rough and ready. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, I mean, you'll know this from any any other improv show, there's nothing there. And people do this amazing space work yes. and you're like, your imagination fills in the blanks and we know what's there. So even with a, a tiny bit of help, I think, you know, the audiences are great at... Um, I was going to say removing their disbelief. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's it called? Suspending. Disg- it. Suspending. Suspending. I was going to say discarding. <laughs> Discard your I disbelief. believe everything. Leave it at the door. <laughs> uh, suspending the disbelief, you know? And, and our brains do fill in those blanks. Um, so, yeah. So I'm not too worried about, like you say, I'm interested in what can be created in a second. What can be created just through um, instant agreement. Right, essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. of someone going oh this and then someone else going oh yes this oh yes this and uh, you know what can all those yes this is create because um, having seen it happen now in uh, in Neverfolk it's like wow it is possible to do that um, but it will take a lot of rehearsal and a lot of like mm. <laughs> getting that group mind thing uh, basically the group mind and the the being willing to jump onto someone else's idea immediately without any self-hesitation, that is what's going to drive that forward and make it possible. So, obviously, subject to change, but are you going to ask for a suggestion at the beginning from the audience? Mm, I don't know. I don't know yet. I definitely want the audience's input and I want mm. the audience involved. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the direct talking to them. I've been toying with the idea of... Um, again because I want to tap into the genuine kid stuff almost if someone has a if if they remember an imagined world that they had as a kid wow. um, or a drawing that they did as a kid or something like that yeah. um, if there's any way of and I did also toy with the idea of people doing little drawings with crayons when they come in uh, and using those for inspiration so I'm not sure yet but again it's going to very deliberately ask the audience to tap into that part of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that, that is what I wish. I really like the idea of getting the audience members to draw something. If only because there seems to be these things. It's like drawing and it's like singing that children seem to do naturally. Mm. And it gets drummed out of them by adults. Yeah. And it makes me very angry. Yeah. So anything that people can do to in some way tap into those kind of delightful, very human activities mm. as adults, I'm really behind. I'm not saying you need to do this for this show, but, um, you know, it just, it makes me very angry. <laughs> yeah, me too, I think. And that's that's why I'm so insistent on, on doing that. And it's funny, I've had this struggle within myself for a lot of years of, um, ever since I was younger, like, I remember when I turned in up, uh, I remember, I talk too fast for my mouth. Like, I think too fast for my mouth most of the time. Um, but I remember turning 18, I was terrified. I was like, I don't want to be an adult. Um, and I, I know there's a general thing of that around with, I don't know, I guess my generation and millennials and all that kind of thing of this, like, regression. Like, you've got things now in shortage of, like, um, adult ball pits, you know? Right. It's, it's a bar and it's a ball pit. It's <laughs> kind of weird regression. But I've always... Uh, I guess tried to push back a little bit against my own, or I felt guilty for the fact that 
I feel like a child most of the time and I act like a child a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean this from the woman who's wearing like leggings with a giant like metal robot on one leg and a unicorn on the other and a rainbow in between them. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, and now I'm just like, no, why do I feel guilty about that? There's nothing wrong with that. And it's, yeah, it is the world that, that puts this thing on us. No, you're supposed to be an adult. No, you're supposed to be serious. And actually, you can very much do both. And you can connect to both things. Uh, you can be a very functional, <laughs> important adult. <laughs> um, and also, but I think if you leave that uh, that part of you behind, the childhood part of you, it's you lose a lot of yourself. And there's no reason to let go of that as you grow older. It's basically the, the whole message of Hook. <laughs> basically yeah but I do think it's incredibly important play and it's been proven like laughter and play increases our productivity as adults uh, increases our happiness levels increases our possibility to like communicate with others and make genuine connections with other human beings and all that stuff so um, it is important what child like things do you like to do <laughs> Um, it's funny you say about making up songs because uh, most days I, <laughs> I don't, they're not good songs <laughs> but like uh, I turn everything into a song I guess like uh, put my keys on the kitchen table <laughs> gonna chop a carrot put it in the pot yeah I'm annoying my housemate do 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 <laughs> brilliant I think it's a really lovely thing to do uh huh I, I do that a lot I have I have, I have had my own periods of doing that too. <laughs> bring it back, Stuart. Bring it bring right it back. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now's the time. <laughs> um, so uh, that sounds great. Uh, so we'll look out for that at the nursery, uh, nursery theatre mm. coming up soon or throughout March. Throughout March. Yeah. Brilliant. I try not to put um, dates and things like this because I like to think people will be listening to this in years to come. Oh, then uh, maybe you missed it. <laughs> or maybe we're on at some big festival somewhere. <laughs> Who Just knows? Keep, a, keep an eye out for it. Keep an eye out. Google it. <laughs> cool. Um, you're also uh, involved in Impromptu Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Ooh, it's... So that's a whole different level of my brain. <laughs> um, so improv is a, uh, obviously a very important part of my life. Um as is Shakespeare. I have loved Shakespeare for a very long time and Shakespeare and spontaneity both and the combination of those things has been of interest uh, to me for definitely since university. Um, To the point where my directing piece at university was a Shakespeare inspired, it was inspired by Q scripts, which uh, I don't know if you know what those are. I do not know what they are. (laughs) Sometimes I uh, play the naive interviewer and Uh I know the answer but I say that I don't because I want my guest to explain to the listener yes in this case I don't know (laughs) genuinely don't know great um so cue scripts back in Shakespeare's day they didn't have photocopiers believe it or not they didn't have them uh (laughs) and if you can imagine once I mean you you know how epic Shakespeare's plays are If you imagine someone having to, like, some poor scribe having to copy out loads of copies of the full play for all the actors, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's a massive time suck, completely pointless. Um, Why would you waste your time doing that? Uh, Also, theatres liked to steal, like, rival theatres would try and sometimes steal bits off each other. Right. So if if someone got hold of a copy of the play, the whole play, 
then they might run away and put it on first and we're like, oh, it was us, we did it, um, and huh. stuff like that. So for those two reasons, um, they used to uh, write out just one actor's part at a time and just with the cue line before it. Oh. Not even with who was saying that cue line. Wow. <laughs> just the cue line. <laughs> um, which would mean that the first night of any of these things, because the thing was the actors were... Uh, it was their their trade, their craft. You know, they would start as a, a a small part in the company, and then over the years they get more experience, and then they grow into um, uh, doing bigger parts, and whatever. And they would learn from the the person above them. You know, the the up and coming, quote unquote, male romantic lead or whatever, um, would would learn from the person above them, and then blah blah blah. They learn all the skills and. The actors kind of were just trusted to just go away and do their thing and then bring it. Um, and the writers of the day often wrote for the actors of the company as well, particularly. So you can see, um, I will get back to impromptu Shakespeare specifically in a bit, but um, you can see the uh, the fools, for example, how there's very different types of fools in a lot of Shakespeare's plays. And that's because the actors were changing and so he changed um, the type of writing for the fools in the particular plays according to the actors. Um, so it used their strengths already. So they didn't used to rehearse things except for dances and fights. Oh, wow. They're the only things they'd rehearse. So the first night of one of these shows yeah. would be great because you'd have people coming on not knowing who they're supposed to be talking to. <laughs> they might come on talking to you saying, yes, sir, take here this purse and then someone else will come in and like from the side <laughs> grab it and be like, I shall, and I shall be swift, and then like walking off, you know, wow. and moments like that. And there are some companies now that are that are doing that, which is super fun. Um, and I was just like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, and so I directed a piece that was inspired by Shakespeare. I got some writers together, and they wrote a, um, a sort of bespoke, <laughs> brand new Shakespeare-inspired um, sort of tragedy thing, and we did it by cue scripts. Um, so. Yeah, I just, so it, the language of Shakespeare is the thing that I love about it. Funnily enough, that's what most people love about it. Um, but I've always loved playing with words, and it's the same in all the singers and songwriters that I listen to. The thing that draws me in truly and really gets me hooked on a singer or songwriter or any musical artist usually is the lyrics, especially if they're playful and playing with words and the sounds of words and how they come out of the mouth and how they feel to say. And that's what I love about Shakespeare is the feeling of those words, of those rhythms and the uh, the rhymes and how all the vowels and the consonants are fitting together. I just love it. Um, I love that feeling. So um, I've got a bit lost here. Uh, <laughs> but those, so there we go. So those two things. So when I saw that Impromptu Shakespeare was a thing, I was like, oh, that's like my two favorite things just smushed <laughs> together. I must audition. Um, and I did. And uh, very thankfully, I was accepted. And I did uh, an Edinburgh run with them just this last August. Um, yeah. And it just, it's, it's really pushed me. It's really challenged my boundaries, like, for sure, yeah. which is great. <laughs> I, I love that. I love feeling challenged and being like, um, and sort of breaking my brain, <laughs> as it were, and forcing me to go in uh, other directions that I don't naturally go. And it's so great. I mean, the stuff that people come out with in rehearsal and with shows, when they're making up, like, people make up this 
beautiful poetry coming out of their mouths and you're like wait did Shakespeare write that (laughs) no no this person wrote it and it's just such a great thing to be a part of and everyone within that group is so talented and so experienced um it's both humbling and inspiring to to be a part of it what ways has it challenged you um it's funny that earlier i was like my brain goes quicker than my mouth that depends sometimes my brain goes slower than my mouth wait Interesting. i don't know which way around this is um it's because it is a bit like improvising in a different language um you know there's a couple of filters to go through there's there's so much happening basically so you you have uh, we have four or five gets, which are on these little ping pong balls that people throw at us at the beginning. I believe they're caught in the britches of Shakespeare. They certainly are. They're caught in the bard's britches. In the bard's britches. Um, and uh, so, you know, you want to include those. And we'll have a chat to the audience as well to, to get a bit more information. So it's a bit meatier rather than just the words themselves. Um so we want to include those kind of things. We also would like a nice, simple, ideally a nice, simple narrative that can be followed. And it feels like, oh, that was a play. Um, and then there's, uh, and potentially, you know, there are games that pop up and you want to follow the games of the scenes. And on top of all of that, you've got this language, um, this like uh, exaggerated, metaphorical, poetic language with which to describe things. And... I think one of my improv pitfalls is, and and just in life, <laughs> is making things more complicated than they need to be. <laughs> so if you add in something where that's kind of a, a requirement, um, then like my brain kind of breaks because I'm like, okay, I need to not make this complicated, but also make it uh, a little bit lengthened out and a little a kind of complicated in another sense but like a beautiful complication a complication that's really simple not a complication that takes us off in another direction right yeah, um yeah. so it's just uh it's it's a kind of at odds with itself um in that sense a little bit because you still yeah you still want to keep things simple as with any improv thing of like um dig one six foot hole not six one foot holes um and just take the simple thing that's going on in the scene and just play that genuinely it just so happens that you're putting it through a filter of uh a more elaborate language i don't know if that answers your question yes, <laughs> i hope it does i'm pretty sure that it does yeah um so you do improvise Shakespeare, mm-hmm. you also do Shakespeare Shakespeare, because oh. it's known technically in the term. It is, it's the official term. That's why they call it at the Globe. Shakespeare Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare Shakespeare. <laughs> do you do Shakespeare Shakespeare at the Globe? I have done. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I took an intensive there a couple of Januaries ago. Wow, what was that like? It was amazing. Uh, we got to work with some incredible teachers. You know, we had uh, voice work, uh, physical movement work. Uh, we had Emily Jenkins, who has been on Sonnet Sisters. Um, uh, oh, which you haven't mentioned yet, but <laughs> next on the list. Um, but uh, yeah, she's been on. Um, uh, I got her in for a web series that I do. Um, she's she's fantastic. She's so enthusiastic. She like bounced into the room, and this she's the the text practitioner. So she 
it's the, it's the thing that most people get stuck on with Shakespeare is the text and like, what does it mean? And all this. And she just bounces in with all this energy. And every time someone like has a question, she's like, aha, and like bounces up to the whiteboard or whatever and like scribbles really enthusiastically. And you can just see how much she loves it. And that enthusiasm like leaks through. Um, uh, Dick and Tyrrell is a, uh, he was running the, he was kind of, running the uh, performance part of it, like directing us essentially. Uh, he's wonderful, wonderful to work with. Um, and again, very playful. There, there's a certain playfulness at the Globe. And like in, we got to uh, have question and answer sessions with a couple of actors and directors there as well during the thing. And the thing that kept coming up is play. Cause it's like when you're outside and you have this shared light situation with the audience, and there might be pigeons or aeroplanes or, or whatever, um, then you have to have a certain openness. You can't be blocked in with, this is how we do it, this is how we rehearsed it, this is how I will do it, uh, <laughs> like an uh, acting robot. You need to be able to improvise. You need to be able to improvise to a certain level. Obviously, the, the words, you want to be doing the proper words that Shakespeare wrote, but... <laughs> Uh, the ability to change and react genuinely in the moment is something that's very important um, and that keeps it alive and keeps the relationship. You can't ignore the fact that there are people there leaning on the stage looking at you in the eyes and that you can see them as much as they can see you as opposed to in proscenium March when uh, you can't really see them because they've got the lights and uh, the audience lights are down. So that was really interesting that that was something that came through and a lot of the things that they kept saying, I was like, oh, that's just like improv. Oh, that's just like improv. Oh, that's just like improv. Um, which was very cool. And yeah, at the end of that, we got to do a little showcase on the Globe stage. Wow. Well, this is in January, so it was freezing. <laughs> we were all backstage huggling uh, like hot water bottles and scarves and, and everything. And then it would be the scene. It was like, you strip off and like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> stroll out. Um, but it was amazing. There were some uh, uh, students and stuff, I think, from abroad uh, and family and friends obviously were invited. So there was an audience there who were walking around and changing places around the, the yard and stuff like that. And I just, I tell you, there's no theatre like it. Like, walking out of those doors, it's just an amazing feeling. You feel like you're being hugged by the theatre because it is in this circle. Yeah. And the way that it is all a, um, in shared light and stuff like that, it's just... Oh, it was incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. So it so it was amazing, basically. Brilliant. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned the so, uh, you mentioned Sonnet Sisters. Tell yes. me all about that. Yeah. So Sonnet Sisters is a website. Uh, a <laughs> web series. <laughs> web series. It's on the uh, website, isn't it? Yeah, it is on the YouTube's. So <laughs> Sonnet Sisters is a web series created by myself and Anna Rose James, who is a performer up in York, um, who also loves Shakespeare. Uh, she is a poet also and a wonderful writer. And basically, we investigate each of Shakespeare's sonnets. Wow. We started at number one, and we are very slowly <laughs> working our way through, because there are 156 of them. Wow. So there's a lot. Um, 154. Yeah. Anywho, um, they, I, I mean, we're nowhere near the end, so I don't need to worry about that right now. But 
we do a little analysis episode where we sort of talk about it and, and dig up the language of like, what does this actually mean? And talk about the imagery and whatnot. And then we put it into a sort of context. We perform it uh, on camera in a way, almost like a little short film. I think of them as kind of music videos, you know, the same job that a music video does for a song. Uh, we're kind of doing that job for the sonnets, basically, just putting them into some kind of a context that helps make sense of it. Um, yeah, part and in part, the reason that we set it up was for ourselves to get regular practice mm -hmm. at reading, learning, and performing Shakespeare. Brilliant. Um, and also in part is, you know, there's still so much of a barrier of people thinking that they're not smart enough for it and all that kind of thing. Um, and so I just, I like things that open it up and go, hey, no, anyone can understand this actually. Uh, uh, and trying to make it fun as well as informative and trying to keep it relatable. Yeah, it's very important to me because I hate it when, uh, I, th I, th I hate it with anything, but Shakespeare is the main thing because it's in the curriculum, people are forced to study it. Yeah. You get so many kids, uh, so many people put off when they're kids, yeah. when they're forced to study it, because they don't understand it, because it's just an English teacher getting people to read like five lines at a time or whatever, yeah. going around the classroom <clears throat> and making you analyse. And you're like, well, I don't bloody well know what this is. And it's supposed to be performed. And it's, uh, it's a lot of the things that are interesting and wonderful about it are the same things that are great about things like hip hop. Uh, which is why there are companies out there who do Shakespeare hip hop and hip hop Shakespeare. Um, because it's the same kind of thing, you know, imagery and rhythms and rhymes and uh, using interesting language to describe something, uh, a very human emotion. That's all it is. So anyway, that's a long-winded way. You know when I said I like to complicate things? Like, <laughs> this is a pure example. This is the perfect place to complicate things. Feel, yeah. feel free to complicate yeah. things. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, I've for a long time I've felt very passionate about... And also for, uh, for years, you know, you see people, even now... Even now, companies, <coughs> RSC, <coughs> um, there's a lot of companies that seem stuck in the past and they're still doing very declamatory uh, performances of Shakespeare. Like it's this high and mighty thing. And it's like, no, this is just about human emotions. These are human people feeling human things. Um, and just the language is, is fun and interesting. It should be as fun and, as I say, as fun and interesting to the ears as any well-written uh, song or, uh, uh, you know, hip hop, whatever. So... Um, it frustrates me that there's that still that sort of elitism around it and I really want that to be broken down so doing these sonnets because they're short as well it's not you're not we're not forcing you to watch like a three-hour King Henry V or something <laughs> like, it's just sort of uh, anything from three to six minutes of, of your time and we're trying to make them fun and relatable and understandable you know and not this high and mighty thing Cool, cool. When or how did you discover improv? What's your improv origin story? Oh, the origin story. <laughs> so, mm, um, so, I, as most people, so I did amateur theatre as a kid, and that you know there would be improv games involved in that as just like warm ups and stuff. Equally, uh, during my acting degree. Improv was often used as warm-ups, and in the degree that I did, which was at Bretton Hall, sadly no more, um, but that's where a lot of the League of Gentlemen people came from, right. um, there was a strong emphasis on devising. 
and so uh, again improv techniques I guess were kind of used to devise our own shows as opposed to writing down and scripting it out it's like you do stuff on your feet see what works see what doesn't change it around make it better um, so I already had those kind of things in me and I had used a lot of Keith Johnson's games and stuff in the directing piece that I talked about earlier um, to kind of group the the actors together and really get them to feel like an ensemble but it wasn't until I moved to Canada <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that I really encountered improv in its um, improv with a big eye sense, <laughs> like as its own thing. Because yeah, yeah. I'd only, you know, seen it like, you know, on Who's Line or, or used it as a tool for something else, either as a tool to warm up or a tool to bond a group of people or a tool uh, to create a new piece of theatre. I hadn't done it for its own sake. Um... And I had always thought, uh, I was always terrified of it as, as that type of a thing. There's a couple of web series that I uh, acted in where the guy running it, he the, like the writer and one of the main actors, he really liked going off on tangents and improvising stuff. And he sometimes would be like, okay, we're going to do a Vox Pop thing now and your character can just... And I was like, wait, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? And he was like, ah, just we can hit these rough points, but it doesn't matter what... I was like, ah. And I always used to be like, look... Just give me a script and I'll make it sound natural and genuine. And that is fine. Please don't make me make stuff up myself. Um, it absolutely terrified the life out of me. I thought, I'm not funny. I'm not quick enough. It's not for me. Um, it's not a skill that I have or will have. Anyway, when I went to Canada, um, <laughs> it's such a long and convoluted story. This is exactly the right place. <laughs> For a lot of convoluted stories. <laughs> Great. Sorry, you're going to have to keep saying that to me because I'm probably going to keep apologising. Um, so, a friend of mine uh, who ha is a street magician, or at least he was for a very long time. He doesn't do it so much anymore. He's got a baby and a more of a regular job. Uh, but he said to me, um, you've got to go and busk on Granville Island. You've got to go busk, you've got to go busk. And Granville Island is just like kind of the... Uh, it's almost like the Covent Garden right. of Vancouver. Um, so there's lots of street theatre, there's a beautiful market, um, there's also beautiful views of like the um, the ocean. Um, well, it's kind of, kind of a weird inlet thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's not a real island because it is still connected to the land, but... Um, uh, and breweries and stuff like this. So it's just, you know, it's a fun place for tourists to go. And there is a little theatre, I say little, uh, called Van Vancouver Theatre Sports League, um, or VDSL. And I remember looking at it and going, what on earth is theatre sports? Despite the fact that I had read Keith Johnston's book, Info, and used it years ago at university, I was just like, because the, the um, image for it, the logo, was like the happy and sad, you know, the comedy tragedy masks yeah, from yeah. theatre, but like one of them was a hockey mask. So it really, it was like sports. And I was like, theatre, sports. I was like, how come, what, what even is that? And so I went to a show and found out. It was basically like whose line, you know, uh, but, um, but with two teams. So two teams competing against each other, doing short form games. Uh, and I was like, oh, I see. And it was very fun. And they had, you know, a rolling screen with all sorts of things about the different shows coming up and whatnot. And also saying, ah, you want to give it a go? Come to our drop-in. 
And then I think it's the same origin story as anyone else who's ever done improv. I went to a drop-in, had a great time. They were advertising courses. And I was like, all right, Jennifer, it's time. You're scared of this thing. You think you can't do it. It's damn well time to go do a course then, in that case. And it was the most wonderful, oh my gosh. So the first course I took was Spontaneity. Um, and it was with Ken Lawson, who, if you ever go to Vancouver, please go see him because he's just the most joyful human being I think I've ever encountered. He's just, uh, he is a, a very excitable puppy in a grown man's skin. Uh, it's just, you, you can't help but, by, be, but be infected by his joy. He's so joyful. Oh my gosh, I love the man. Um, so I'm really glad that he was <laughs> my spontaneity teacher. And then I took all the courses. Um, they then were auditioning for this thing called Rookie League. So they have main stage shows um, every day of the week, except Sunday. And their main stage shows, they have two shows a night, except on Fridays and Saturdays when they have three shows wow. a night. So they have a seven and a nine. And then Friday, Saturdays, they have seven, nine and 11. And in the 11 and 1, you can swear. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can swear, you can say rude things. Wow. Um, the audiences are quite often not, not massive for that. <laughs> but the, uh, Canadians don't like swearing. Yeah, I guess not. They're not, they're not keen on the crude <laughs> stuff. But I tell you, the improvisers, they have a great side. <laughs> uh, they really, really enjoy themselves. Um, yeah, so... Um, uh, was oh, yeah, and on Sundays... They have Rookie League, which is like the up-and-coming uh, improvisers of, of tomorrow. And to get onto main stage of ETSL, you have to go through the Rookie League. Um, and the time I was there, some auditions were coming up. I hadn't finished all the courses, but some auditions were coming up. And I was like, well, I don't know if my visa is still going to be valid next time the auditions come around. I feel like I don't really know very much yet, but I'm going to audition. <laughs> um, and I did... And incredibly to me, I got in. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> um, and actually, when I left Vancouver, <laughs> uh, the artistic director at the time at my leaving party, a little bit inebriated perhaps, um, as uh, most of us were, said to me, but you know why? You know why you got into Rookie League, do you, and Jennifer? And I was like, no. She's like, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why you got into Rookie League. She's like, because... It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that you were like a really skilled and experienced improviser, but you know that, right? You know that, you know that. And I was like, I mean, sure, that's true. It's like, that's pretty like harsh to go in with, but yeah, I'll accept that. That's true. And she just said, um, it was a really fearless audition. It was completely fearless. She was like, you didn't have a clue what you were doing. <laughs> But you did it with uh, so much confidence <laughs> and joy that we were like, yeah, let's take it. <laughs> I was just like, I think that's the only time in my life that I've been described as fearless because I don't consider myself a particularly fearless person at all. So that was hilarious to hear back. Yeah. And also, and now, like years, you know, several years later, I look back and I'm like, oh, she is right. I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> at all. I still, quite a lot of the time, still barely know what I'm doing. But back then, definitely, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so I'm amazed that they took me on. But it was a wonderful six months. So, so I trained with them and I uh, performed in Rookie League. And I've really been spoiled in that, that theatre. Um, I didn't realise, because I've been to lots of other, obviously, improv theatres uh, uh, different places in the world now, uh, and obviously to a lot of the places in London. 
And I didn't realise how spoiled I'd been that <laughs> Vancouver Theatre Sports League was the first theatre that I ever did stuff in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... I mean, it's huge. It's got these raked seating. I forget how many people it can seat. Maybe like it's got all this cabaret seating on the floor, and then these uh, all these rows of raked seating. I think they can maybe fit like 150 or 200 in there. I don't know. Like it feels like that. I might be making that up. This incredibly elaborate tech. The technicians that work there are amazing. Um, uh, the sound technician particularly, but actually all of them, they're just great. You know, they have the classic in North America, doors and windows to play with at oh, the back. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, and <laughs> backstage and all these like props and costumes that you can just grab backstage and run on with if you want and um, all that jazz. And I was just like, yeah, and then coming to places that are basically, you know, above a pub or like, <laughs> we made this concrete room with a pillar into a theatre, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it can fit 60 people. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was really, really spoiled to have that experience on that stage. And it was in front of, uh, quote unquote, normos. Like, <laughs> most of the audience that came to that show were just normal people yeah. on the street. I'm always impressed when people tell me that they have audience members who aren't improvisers. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to perform to anybody, <laughs> even improvisers. But if you actually get real people in there, that's like, wow. Yeah. That's actually, and actually much more healthy the whole thing because then you might encourage people to become improvisers as well but yeah yeah and hopefully it stops you doing improv in jokes <laughs> yeah and I am I mean, with Dr. Tuprof there have been times when I've done um, uh, the nursery's Thursday Night Lights or even Dr. Goose's Jam on the Monday where yeah it's been a little bit inside baseball but anyway but if you're going to do that anywhere I mean TNL and Duck Duck Goose yeah. are like uh, you know, pretty good places to do it I felt that you know this this was my audience <laughs> I wouldn't have done the things I did had there been you know real people there yeah so uh, so yeah I did that and then I I was hu- hungry and thirsty for more and I wanted to learn from as many people as possible so whilst doing stuff with VTSL um, whenever they had other like international teachers coming in as well I would uh, sign up for their stuff um, and then I also was studying with Instant Theatre and with Second Story Theatre, um, who were kind of uh, just stuff out in the suburbs rather than in central Vancouver. And I got such a variety of training from all of them. And then my visa ran out. Oh. Uh, and I was so sad because I love Vancouver so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, came to London. And because of the community that I found there, I found such joy having come from a theatre thing where it feels like you're always in competition with other people as an actor or like, you know, auditions, it's like someone else is going, there's only one role and someone else is going to get it. And also it's almost this hierarchy of like, who's got the main part and who's got a small part and stuff like that. So getting into improv and finding that the important thing is supporting each other and all being equals and all treating each other like geniuses and wonderful people. I was like, wow, this is so cool. (laughs) And then the people that you meet because of that, because the people that are into that kind of thing are generally quite nice, good humans. Yes. So finding that community, I was like, wow. So yeah, as soon as my visa ran out and I had to come back to the UK, uh, decided to land in London. Not not literally. I was like, I would like this plane to land in London, please. <laughs> Pilot, make it so. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I decided to, to root myself in London and the first thing that I did, because I knew I was going to be depressed and have, and be grieving for this uh, place that I loved so much and brought me so much joy, uh, I was like, right, where's the improv? <laughs> find, find me the improv. And actually the reason that I came to the nursery is because Alistair Cook, who was the artistic director of Instant Theatre, when I left, he sent me a message being like, mm, 
search out Jules Munns in the nursery theatre. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I will. Uh, and I did. And I'm glad I did. Hooray. Yeah. Because now the nursery is very much my family. I mean, yeah, no, there's no other way to describe it. I love this place so much. I love everyone involved with it. I love uh, that I've <laughs> wheedled my way into the centre of it. <laughs> um, uh, and that I really genuinely feel a part of something. It's something that I care about a lot. I'm willing to put a, a lot of my time and effort, blood, sweat and tears into this place because it, it means a lot to me and the community means a lot to me. And yeah, it is, it's a family. <laughs> good, 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 good. You're also involved in The Actors' Nightmare. Yeah, oh God, sorry, that just keeps going on. And this different thing. <laughs> Tell me what that is. Oh, so... Actors' Nightmare is an improvised one-act play. Very occasionally, when we get the opportunity, it is an improvised two-act play. (laughs) Um, With an interval in between. But it was uh, devised by uh, Steve Steen and Lee Simpson and uh, uh, Steve Frost as well, with Ruth Bratt and a whole host of just really awesome improvisers, basically. All these fantastic people. And... Uh, this was very much a, a like a random, uh, what's the word, um, serendipitous thing that one night I was doing musical at the Miller, I think it was musical, and um, I saw these two guys, that, which was Lee and Steve, um, sort of whispering in the corner and looking at me, <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? And then they just came up to me and uh, Steve Steen said, Hello. Um, are you performing tonight? And I said, uh, or are you are you involved tonight? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And he went, okay. And he looked like he had another question. So I was like, oh, but I'm not, I'm not in charge of anything. I'm just one of the performers. <laughs> like, if you have some kind of logistical question, he's like, no, 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 no. Um, we um, it's like so you're performing. I was like, yes, yeah, yeah. He's like, mm. we. <laughs> I hope you won't mind me saying this. It's like, we don't have any women uh, playing with us this evening. <laughs> Would you like to perform with us? And I was just like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I just went, uh, and everything in my brain was like, terrifying, terrifying. I don't know them as humans. I don't know what their format is. I don't know what it is. This is scary. This is scary. But instead, my voice went, yes. (laughs) It's almost as if you've been trained from school as an improviser to say yes. To say yes. And you'll sort it out. Jennifer, just say yes. And then I was was like, "Um, Sally is here also. She is also a woman. Can she please play as well? (laughs) Because I was like, at least I know Sally. Um, And they were like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. So Steve Steen, Lee Simpson, myself, and Sally Hodgkiss uh, did this one-act play together. And he was just basically like, oh, there's no... We don't get a suggestion from the audience. It might not be funny, or it might be. There's no pressure to be funny. We just want to try and do, essentially, a a one-act play. And it was like, okay. Uh, and then it did not crash and burn. Hooray! Um, and so I got to stay on with them. But they had already been doing it, you know, several times before then. Um, and I think they would uh, had booked in thinking that more people... Uh, I think it was just one of those nights when a bunch of people, things happened and they couldn't, they couldn't turn up, you know, life happened. Yeah. And so they were short of people. And then um, myself and Sally got involved and we've been involved ever since. And it's just... Uh, Again, it's such a treat for me because I get to play with these improvisers that are like, to me, I've been like idolizing for ages. And I'm like, 
you know, they're these big stars to me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing a show with you. <laughs> uh, it, it's very cool. And I, and still, even now, every time we meet up uh, for a, a drink before the show, I'm still like, have to get rid of my starstruckness before we play together. <laughs> Remember that we're all humans. But that's what that is. Cool, that sounds fantastic. And you're in the concept? Yeah. Tell me what the concept is. Oh my gosh. The concept is an improvised concept album. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, uh, from the minds of Fred Deacon, Heather Urquhart, Joe Samuel, Jules Munns, um, uh, it's, it's just that, basically. It is, we get a suggestion from the audience of the name of a fictional band and a, an album that does not exist, this fictional band recorded, and then we do a live gig that is that album. Wow. So we make up each song, uh, you know, as we go along and try to find a theme that, that that ties them all together so that it does feel like a concept yeah. um, uh, album. And the nice thing is that concept albums, the theme or the story that, you know, the concept album follows is not normally that clear and obvious no. anyway. So you've got <laughs> plenty of leeway to, yeah. you know... There's some wiggle room there. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, oh my gosh, it's the most fun thing to do. So we'll have, um, I was I don't know what the official way to say this is, but I always say we have Fred on beepity boops. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what he does. He does the beeps and the boops. Um, so he does the beats and samples, basically. Um, and then uh, usually Joe Samuel on keys. Uh, and then we've had various different guitarists uh, play. At one point, my brother even stepped in wow. and, and played a show, which was awesome. I was like, because my brother was in bands and stuff when he was younger, and I was always really jealous. I was like, I'm not that cool. I'm not cool enough to be in a band. And then, like, the one night where he was on guitar and I was singing, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in a band with my brother. They're cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, for example, Joe Jones, who played last night. Um, and then there'll be three singers out of, and there's quite a few of us in the, the sort of, pool of singers but for each performance there'll be three and then <laughs> there are um three graphic uh, animation artists who will draw things inspired by what we're singing about um or they might be inspired by one thing that then leads on to another to another and then they draw something completely different that which then feeds back into us because there's a monitor on the floor so we can see the uh, animations brilliant. and they project the animations uh, next to us on that. so the stage is very full yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, huge projection on one side then the three singers and then like the the um, the three musicians like in that corner um, yeah and it's just the most fun it feels like a you know really big event it feels very cool um, and I get to feel like a rock star for an evening which is great it's just the most fun thing to do because you can really go stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And in rehearsals for a long time, a lot of the notes we were getting given was make less sense. <laughs> You're making so much sense. Like songs don't make sense a lot of the time. Like the catchiest songs don't make sense and make less sense. And I'm just like, oh, that is a note I can get on board with for sure. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy that. Great. Describe to me somewhat theatre in six words or less. <laughs> okay. Mm -mm -mm. I'll get there. I'll get there.
Right, I'm just going to go for it. Go for it. I don't, I haven't, I'm, I've, I've tried several times to pre-work it out. Yeah. It hasn't worked, so I'm just going to go for it instead. Improvised plays. Normally, a bit absurd. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't think anyone could argue with that. No. <laughs> if someone were to step on stage with you, what could they do to delight you? Ooh. Ooh. Um, most things. I think anything involving, like, space, like taking me to space. <laughs> really? <laughs> or sci-fi. That's or, interesting. I yeah. didn't know you were a sci-fi fan. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm a sci-fi fan. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Like, if someone endowed me as the doctor, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh, yes. Um, what else? I guess... I'm totally doing that if I ever get on stage with you. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm totally doing that all oh, the time. Oh, yes. <laughs> I hope that I forget about this conversation then before like, then as well. Oh, yeah. yeah like, Where did you get that idea from? Yeah, I'll suddenly be like... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anything like that. But that's a very, like, literal thing, I guess, in more general terms. I guess just... Um, a, Cheeky inviting me into a cheeky sparkle with them, I guess. <laughs> cheeky sparkle? <laughs> What's a cheeky sparkle? Sort of think I know, but I'm sort of not sure. What's a cheeky sparkle? I don't know how else to explain it. I'm not it. sure I'd feel comfortable there. <laughs> uh, that's a Johnny Wheeler, a cheeky sparkle. A cheeky sparkle. <laughs> something, <laughs> something that's really silly that is like, come on, jump on this silly train. <laughs> You know? Cheeky sparkle is a better phrase. Cheeky sparkle better than jump on the silly train. <laughs> but, you know, it usually born from something that I, uh, I guess has been an accident. But when someone takes that, especially because I, I talk some right bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I let some real nonsense fall out of my mouth. <laughs> and when someone takes that nonsense and goes, yep, we're riding, riding this train. Uh, come on then. Then that's a really wonderful feeling yeah. uh, because I feel vindicated <laughs> and, but also encouraged <laughs> so that's really nice um, yeah and surprising uh, surprising me also but a, a surprising invite not just surprise what you're going to do with it yeah. but um, for example I did a uh, stepped in for a Blighton show recently and um uh, I was doing a scene with Lucy Fennell we were two sisters and there was a general underscoring but then not very far in Lucy just broke into song and just did one line of a thing and I was like oh I guess we're off <laughs> you know things like that like I wasn't wow. expecting her at that moment I knew yeah. there might be songs in it because there often <laughs> are in the blight and things but um, at that particular moment she's just talking and then she just makes a snap decision looks at me with this big smart she has a cheeky <laughs> cheeky smile on her face um, and just was it was very much an invitation of you want to silly, sing a silly song to which my only reaction could be yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, those those kind of moments of like, oh, we're going down this direction. Okay, I'm on board. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and the big final, big, big final question. Oh, no. <laughs> what is your signature move? No! What is 
is, what is the thing you do that saves the day, brings the house down, everyone goes, classic Jordan. <laughs> I think it's, I know what it is now, because I, I was genuinely, having listened to the podcast, I was dreading this question. I was like, I have no idea. That's why I ask it at the end. I know. <laughs> but having, um, yeah, especially after doing concept last night, I'm like, I know what it is. It is letting myself go on a ramble that's not a sideways ramble, but when I have those magical moments when I'm going on a, 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 a single, like, a, you know, a six-foot hole ramble that is um, just digging deeper on an idea that I've already... Uh, that is <laughs> Sorry. We've got the rain outside. We've got the hoovering at the door. This is what you've got to work with. So you were having you were having a forwards ramble. It wasn't a, a sideways ramble, it's a forwards not ramble. Not a sideways ramble, but a forwards ramble. I'm just unpacking something. Um, uh, I guess in Rosowski terms, for anyone who's worked with Rosowski, it's like using a, a bunch of sisters, basically, which is just like other ways to say the thing you've already said. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, that's really cool. Yeah, so for example, if I said, um, I'm looking at Stuart, um, I'm uh, gazing in the direction uh, of another human being who I know to be Stuart. Uh, my eyes are pointing at him and the light is bouncing at him, which reflects back into my eyes, which is then converted and turned upside down. Uh, and my brain uh, fires off synapses that interprets that to be Stuart, you know, things like that. And you keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, and uh, digging into those ideas to the point where I'm going at the speed of fun, <laughs> as Jules calls it, uh, which is higher than the speed of, of comfort or safety, but lower than the speed of panic. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was Graham Myers that first said that. I don't remember. Anyway, um, I don't know who first first said it, but there we are. Um, but when I'm going at the speed of fun and allowing stuff to tumble out to the point where something genuinely surprises me and makes myself laugh either as I'm saying it or just after I've said it because I genuinely didn't expect to say that <laughs> um, and then doubling down on that those are the things because I uh, I really enjoy I enjoy a good forwards ramble yeah. you know as opposed to the sideways ramble and it says they are sideways ramble but it's uh, it's not splintering hmm. you know it's kind of a, a lateral ramble of looking at something in a different way and then letting my words say something completely weird that it's like, what the fuck did she just say? Uh, but in a joyful way as opposed to in a derailing way. And sometimes it's a fine line. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those those are the things that I I think I think that's my signature move. Fantastic. <laughs> Is there one last thing for me to say? Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Made this. That's improv! <laughs>